In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is it just me, or is Jesus telling us this morning to reward those who cheat us and who squander our money? It's kind of what it sounds like, doesn't it? The parable of the dishonest manager can be a hard parable to get through, and certainly a hard parable to preach on. There's a lot going on, but from the get-go, it just seems odd, like it seems backwards. The parable comes during a long stream of Jesus' parables that we've been traveling through the past couple of weeks. This is just a continuation of that same, picking up this morning right after the parable of the prodigal son and the gospel according to Luke. I think it might help to decipher the message of the parable if we spend just a little bit of time trying to figure out who the players are in the story. In Jesus' time, the wealthy population was centered mainly in the southern area of the region, in Judea, while the poor farmers lived in Israel, in the north. The rich basically owned the farms and employed the tenant farmers um, as kind of indentured servants, if you will, who would then owe rent and a percentage of their crops yield, often with enormous interest attached back to the landlords. These rich landlords also employed stewards or managers who would act as the landlord's agents and travel back and forth, meeting with the farmers and collecting their payments for their bosses. Now, it was not uncommon that this manager might further tack on some more charges as a sort of commission for themselves. So where our story picks up this morning is that one of these managers has been caught mishandling their boss's money. Maybe he got caught overcharging the farmers. Maybe he got caught taking too much off the top. We don't really know the reason. But he knew that he was going to lose his job. And he was no longer going to be able to enjoy that privileged life that he had been living. He also realized he was not going to be welcomed in that upper crust circle of friends that he had grown accustomed to. He was going to have to find a new community to be welcomed with. So he goes to the rich man's tenants and starts making deals with them. He cuts one bill in half, he cuts one bill by 20%, by doing so probably removing all that added interest and commission that had built up over the years. As you can imagine, the farmers probably loved this guy. But the interesting thing is, and the thing that's hard for us to understand, is that when the rich man finally finds out what his manager has been doing, we expect him to be furious. We expect the manager to be punished further. But he isn't, is he? Instead, he's commended for his shrewdness, for his ingenuity. There are a lot of ways we can try to analyze this parable and probably multiple right answers we can come up with. After all, that's the joy of a parable. However, I think the point, if you will, of the parable of the dishonest manager is actually pretty simple. And it's really one that Jesus tries to make over and over again throughout his Gospels. Jesus is providing us the opportunity to reflect on where we place our trust and where we focus our efforts and our lives. Is it into our wealth, into our status that we build up, into living into the social structure that defines us by what we have or who we know? 
Or do we focus our priorities and efforts into relationships, those we have with each other and with God? I think that's the key to understanding this parable. The manager was rewarded because he finally understood what was important. It finally clicked in his head. Once he realized that he would be separated from that financially motivated society of his past, he was then liberated to start nurturing new relationships with those who he had only ever seen before as a commodity. But don't think that everything would suddenly become easy for him after making this mindset. It's a little difficult to get the nuances in the new revised standard version of the Bible that we use this morning, where Jesus tells his disciples that when the wealth is gone, they will be welcomed into the eternal homes. The original word actually isn't homes, but it's tents. This changes from what we hear to being rewarded with a stately, permanent dwelling place, but instead being rewarded with a simple tent, a symbol of a nomadic worker. Now you might think that this is no coincidence that this reading happens before we, that Corky gets here to talk about stewardship and money, but it actually is a coincidence. <laughs> And the thing about money, money is one of those things that Jesus references over and over again because, like the song says, money is what makes the world go around. Money is the easiest thing that we have to separate us from each other. It's the easiest thing that we can become drawn to. And it can become the easiest thing that we can begin to worship. The Bible translations that came before the one that we used this morning don't end the gospel reading with, you cannot serve God and wealth. You might remember this. They say, you cannot serve God and mammon, with a capital M. Mammon is one of those powerful, almost visceral words. Mammon is the personification, almost the deification of money. Martin Luther called mammon the most common god on earth. Yes, money is important to have, and yes, we need it to function and to survive, but love of money above love of neighbor or love of God is the danger that Jesus keeps going back to over and over again. And sometimes it takes a little shrewdness, a little outside-of-the-box thinking, like that manager, to finally understand these things. And it's hard for us because it's so ingrained as Americans and as capitalists in this money above all mindset that we live in. We're surrounded by unfair and unethical money-making schemes, high-interest student loans, predatory payday loans, just to name a couple of examples. In today's world, Jesus might be setting this parable against a somewhat different backdrop. It might be making money at the expense of striking auto workers, or making money at the expense of exploiting child laborers, or our natural resources. And we hear it this morning, and it sounds almost like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But it can be easier to worship the money that we procure through our own ingenuity, instead of worshiping the God that gave us that ingenuity, that health, and the ability to work in the first place. Let me be clear what I'm saying. Having money is not bad, but worshiping money is. 
As we enter into our official stewardship season starting next week, let us keep in mind that the actual stewards of God's creation is not just limited to three or four weeks, but being a good steward is all about being in the right relationships with what we have, with what we've been given, and with those who share our community. When our relationships with God and with each other are put first, our relationships with our stuff, what we want, begin to be seen in a new and a more liberating light. What would the world look like? What would Decatur look like if we all reached out to each other and showed each other the love of Christ as equals? What if God's will really was done on earth as it is in heaven?